Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Are you excited? You're like, I don't know what for, but it's going to be good. And I promise you, God's got some good things. I I know it uh, because I've already been through it once with one group of of people from our congregation. And uh, God's just up to some great things. And I know he's going to do some great things in your life. All right, we're going to dive right in. Today, week four of... uh, Wanderers versus Conquerors, this whole series has really been looking at a season in the life of the Israelites when they are leaving the land of, uh, of, of Egypt. They're exiting. So a lot of this is found in the book of Exodus. And um, it's about how God is faithful through this whole process, even when they have a tendency to wander away. And there's going to be some seasons during this whole encounter, the season of their life, where they're wandering and some season of conquering. And we're looking at uh, how do, are there some biblical principles that we can learn um, in terms of how God interacts with humanity that set us up for uh, the conquering life versus kind of wandering through life. But let me start this week by just asking a simple question. How many of you uh, love the process of getting better? How many of you love the process of getting better? I'm getting better at something. I know there's a handful of people who are like, I like that idea of like getting better. Let me ask kind of a, a similar question or kind of in the same vein, but ask it a little bit differently. How many of you love the process of refining? <laughs> no hands up on that one. Most people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for getting better. Better. I like I'll be a better husband or a better wife or a better uh, parent or a better employee or, or whatever it might be. But then when it comes to this idea of how many of you like being refined in those areas, like, ah, not so much. And, and yet I would argue that the, it's those little things where you get sometimes pushed in tough ways that sometimes only produce a little bit of fruit that are, it's actually a, a necessary part of the process of, uh, of refining, getting better. Like picture it like this. Um, in my life, I've been water skiing since I was a little kid. So since I was, I don't know, eight or nine or something like that. So 35 plus years of my life. In my family, my, my parents and my siblings were all really good water skiers. All of my family water ski, but my, my immediate family I grew up with, we were all really good. Um, and we're all really good slalom skiers. That's like not me trying to boast. I'm just saying we're, we're we're decent. We hold our own. And, um, but just two years ago, my dad, who's 71 now and still a great slalom skier, and, which is skiing on one ski, and my sister and myself, we took a ski lesson. And you might think, well, why in the world did you take a ski lesson after 35 years and you would call yourself good skiers, good slalom skiers? Like, why would you take a lesson? Well, it's because I want to get better. That's why. And what was interesting is that during this lesson, it was like two hours long, and during this two-hour lesson, we spent the majority of the time on land. Not even in the water. Uh, Just walking back and forth on a dock, holding a rope, practicing uh, location of rope, uh, your balance, hip direction, all these like little fine-tuned little tweaks that can be done in in your, in in kind of how how you ski to get better. And and you might say, that seems crazy, but if I want to get better, I'm going to, I'm willing to go through that process of refining to get better. And I think all of us, if I were to say, hey, hey, uh, husbands, how many of you want to be better husbands? I know some of the spouses are like, that's for you, honey. No. 
Or how many of you want to be better wives? And you say, that's for you. I'm back at you. Uh, or how many of you want to be better parents or better employees or better friends or better in your walk with God? Almost all of us would say, I'm in for that. And yet that process is a process of refining. And uh, today what I want to do is I want to look at an area or a few areas in our life that I think we can always revisit that are important to constantly be refining and asking God to refine us in these areas because it impacts all those others. So if you said I want to be a better husband or a better spouse or a better uh, parent or a better employee or a better friend or better in my walk with God, these other three areas, if you have God refine them, you're going to become better in the others, okay? And these same three areas are the same three areas that God is refining in the people of Israel in the, what we're looking at today. And what we're looking at today is the time of Israel's life uh, that we often refer to as the season of wandering. It's when they're in the desert, in the wilderness. And we're springboarding into our conversation from Stephen's speech. It's found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. And he is basically talking to a group of spiritually wandering individuals who are, they, they're spiritually, they're the spiritual leaders of the community. But he would argue, hey, you guys have kind of, wandered away from the Lord, yet God is always faithful. And that's the whole point of his speech, is that even though man has a tendency to wander away, God is always faithful. And so we're going to pick this up, Acts chapter 7, uh, that will just kind of launch us into this season of uh, the Israelites wandering in the desert. So he, this is Moses, was in the assembly in the, say it with me, in the what? In the wilderness. This is the desert. This is where they're at, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him and said they rejected him. And in their hearts, check this out, they turned back to Egypt. So remember, this is where they've come from. They've spent 400 plus years in Egypt. And this whole season of time, even while they're in the wilderness, my argument of what God is doing there is that while that journey only took them actually 40 days, that's that's the whole journey, 40 days for the people of Israel to get out of Egypt, it's going to take 40 years to get Egypt out of the people because their hearts have a tendency to turn back to it. Now, as they're going to spend this time in the desert, but let me just clarify. The desert is, throughout scripture, I would say the desert represents something, but doesn't always represent wandering. I would actually say it represents probably a time of refining, uh, foundation building, recalibrating. That's what's supposed to take place in the desert. Uh, Because we have other people who spent time in the desert. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. During that time, he's really kind of unlearning everything that he learned growing up in the household of Pharaoh in, in Egypt. He's receiving his identity that's being spoken over him from God and his assignment from God. Jesus spends 40 days in the desert. And during that 40-day period. He's kind of getting his foundation solidified as God is going to send him into his ministry years. But Jesus, just keep in mind, he's not wandering and uh, he's not off in terms of what he's doing there. He's just getting that foundation solidified as he gets ready to step into his kingdom assignment. The people of Israel, though, during this season of time, they're going to spend 40 years there. What was meant to be a 40-day journey turns into a 40-year journey, and it's an overextended stay because of what is happening. It's a generation that's learning, kind of unlearning maybe the doubting faith of their parents and preparing them to be conquerors, kind of establishing their, uh, their hearts as they're going to be sent into the promised land. But it's often in, a place, in this type of a place, in a desert season or the wilderness, where we get our foundation straightened out. 
And you might feel like you're there right now. You might feel like, I, I feel like I'm in that type of a season where God is refining me, where it's not always easy, but God might be uh, refining, he's solidifying, he's recalibrating me. Um, sometimes it's seasons of trials. Maybe it's a season where life is kind of lean and mean. Maybe you feel that way right now. It's not always easy. Uh, there might be ongoing tension, but it's not a bad thing so long as you don't overextend your, overextend your stay right? So long as you leave when the Lord tells you to leave. Uh, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that our time in Minnesota. There was three years that my wife and I and my family was there. And I would describe that season as kind of a season of wilderness. It wasn't easy. It was difficult for us. And yet during that season, I, I don't think we overextended our stay. Um, the Lord was establishing some really important foundational things in our lives that I think was to prepare us for this ministry here at Lakeland. And so uh, don't look at your season. If you're like, I'm in the middle of a wilderness, wilderness, then, then take advantage of that moment and say, God, teach me whatever you want me to teach me so I can get out when you call me out. Got it? Okay, so I want, are you guys alive? Okay, so I want to look at three accounts uh, that happen in the life of the Israelites during the season of wandering and three areas that needed refining. It's actually three areas that I would say you and I continually need to revisit and that God is probably still re refining in us. And these are the three areas. It's the area of provision, protection, and control. And it's asking these questions. Who am I going to trust as my provider? Who am I going to trust as my protector? And who am I going to trust as being in control of my life? And I would argue that over the past year, 2020 and into 2021, uh, the reason why so many Americans have responded so poorly or have had such a rough year is because I would argue that these three values have come under attack in ways that none of us saw, saw coming. The, these three areas, that, think about this, provision. Some people lost their jobs, and even if you didn't, remember what happened a year ago? Every one of us struggled to buy what? <laughs> Toilet paper and bread. And you might say, I might have had the money in my account, but I can't provide. And it's driving you nuts. And when you can't provide, all of a sudden that thing is under attack. All of a sudden, things start, people sometimes act poorly or, or things come out sideways. Protection. Think about That has been the story of 2020 and 21, 2021. Can you protect yourself from this virus and how are you going to protect you and your family members? Right? That's, that's the whole story is how, what are we doing to protect ourselves? And, and what has happened for so many people is they're, they're hearing all these messages that go, hey, be careful, make sure that we'll protect you. Here's our protocols to protect you. Here's how you can protect yourself. And what a lot of people have felt is like their, their protection is under attack. Control. Think about what happened a year ago. All of a sudden, these things that you always felt like I could control and I could do, and all of a sudden things were, you were told what you could do and what you couldn't do. Hey, you can't go to church. You can't go to the gym. You can't go into that restaurant. You can't have graduation. You can't do the musical. You can't go into work. Here's what you can and you can't do. And all of a sudden, a lot of people felt like their control was under attack, right? And so all of a sudden, some of these very same things that actually God is going to be refining in the children of Israel, I would say God has been actually, I think, is purposefully refining in his church today. Perhaps 2020 and 2021 is not an accident by any measure. Maybe God is just showing us that we need some refining in some areas of our life. And so let's just dive into the Israelites where God is going to refine these same th three things and see, uh, are there some things we can learn for us? Um, first one, 
Let's dive into provision. Uh, God's going to refine the people around this idea of who is their provider. And he's going to use or do that through provision of manna from heaven, bread from heaven, and water from the rock. Let's check this out. They're in the desert. And anyone know that taking care of 2 million people, that's approximately the population of the Israelites at this period of time, taking care of feeding and uh, getting water for 2 million people, they're just not going to survive, right? So God is going to show them how they're going to survive and he's going to be their provider. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Crazy. They're asking to die. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day, just that day, one day's worth. In this way, I'll test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. Now here's the deal. It's exactly what God did. He rained down bread from heaven. It landed all over the ground and it's called manna, which means what is it? Because people walked outside and they said, what is it? It's literally it. And he's like, that's what we'll call it. What is it? It's manna. It's this bread from heaven. And here's the amazing thing about it is that God poured down enough manna for a week's worth. There was enough manna that they could store up and have a week's worth of manna. But he said, I want you to only gather a day's worth. And here's the whole point. He's like, while I want, I'm going to provide enough for a week, I want to test you to see if you will rely on me as your daily provider. This is why even when Jesus teaches the disciples in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. What's Jesus reinforcing there? He's saying even to the disciples and to you and I that we need to daily come back to this and re-anchor our hearts in the fact that, that we need to trust God as our daily provider. Now, while most of us have probably enough in your bank account to buy enough bread for a week or maybe a month or maybe even longer, we still need to remind our hearts, no, God is my daily provider. Sometimes it's a little tough for us as Americans who might have a lot or have enough that you're like, I feel like I can provide for myself. And yet we have to re-anchor our hearts in this reality that he is my provider. And then God does the same thing in regards to, to water. So in Exodus chapter 17, check out what happens. The whole Israelite community, they set out from the desert of sin. It's probably a Desert you want to escape anyhow. <laughs> Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded them. They camped at Rephidim, Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do, uh, why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered, Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. This is the same staff that he struck the Nile and it turned to blood. He struck the Red Sea and it parted in two and the people went through it and escaped out of Egypt in the hand of Pharaoh. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders and of Israel. 
Now, how many of you have figured out that the water you drank yesterday doesn't do you any good today? Like you need daily water, just like you need daily food. And this is what God is going to teach the people of Israel. It's like, hey, I'm going to, you're going to have to trust me for daily bread. You're going to have to trust me daily for, to quench your thirst. And um, for us as well, one of our biggest hurdles is we're just self-sufficient people. Turn on the faucet and out comes water. Seem to be able to always buy bread. And sometimes we don't have to exercise the muscle of faith, trusting him as our daily provider. And yet what God is helping them learn is to rely on him daily. And here's the conquering mindset. If you want to know what does a conqueror think or how does a conqueror think, a conqueror learns to rely on the hand of God to provide in their lives and rely daily. You know, uh, this past week, if you were here last week, you heard that we, my family and I, we were going out of town. We did. We went down to the Ark Encounter as well as the Creation Museum. Uh, we saw some family members, and then we also went to a water park overnight. And so we got a whole bunch of stuff done. I would highly encourage the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. If you've never gone, put it on your bucket list. You need to do it at some point during your lifetime, okay? Just go there once. It'll be worth it. Um, but in this whole process, we were staying at like different locations all throughout the week. And I had booked uh, our hotels or some of our hotels on out. And um, last week, so this is like uh, a week ago, I get this email that says, how was your stay in such and such hotel? And I was like, wait a second, we haven't gone yet. <laughs> I was like, what happened? They had, and I realized, oh no, they had it down for a week ahead of time. Instead of that, instead of this past Friday, it was the Friday before. And so I immediately, I'm like, I, if you're like me, you got a problem, I'm going to fix it. Right? So I called the hotel. I said, hey, I'm sure you made a mistake and it wasn't my bad. Right? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But I was like, hey, there was a problem. I don't know what happened, but somehow we clicked uh, or we got a week ahead on the books and it was wrong schedule and they charged me for yesterday when I wasn't there and I'm coming a week from now and, and they're like, oh, we can't do anything about it. You, uh, you, you know, reserved it through a third party. Have fun with them. Yay. So I called the third party. We all love third parties, right? Called Expedia and I said, hey, I've, I've got a problem. Um, I, somehow uh, you guys messed it all up and no, I didn't say that to them, but we got the wrong week booked and what can I do? And Expedia's automatic person said, there is a two hour wait and 48 minutes. Would you like to call back? <laughs> yeah, I'll take the call back. And so I, I hung up, I waited for the call back. And during that period of time, you'll never guess what I did. I prayed. <laughs> Because I already tried to fix it myself. That didn't work so well. So I said, all right, Lord, I need a little bit of help here because I really don't have to pay. And I, anytime we go anywhere, I have to get multiple rooms because my family's so big. So I don't want to pay for all these rooms that I didn't stay at. And I'm going to have to stay at again and pay for them again. And so I, I prayed. And when the Expedia lady called me back, I finally got to talk to a human and it was wonderful. And uh, we worked it all out and she called, she goes, oh, I'll call the hotel and we'll get that uh, charge taken off and, uh, and then and we'll get it all figured out. And she called the hotel, she got it all worked out. She called me, she, she got right back on the phone. She said, it's all worked out, you shouldn't be charged and, uh, and you're booked for next week. Awesome, praise you Lord. So yesterday I'm waking up in that hotel and underneath my door is my bill and on the bill, are all these charges for last night as well as the week before. And I go, Lord, I thought we already took care of this. 
Well, on my way down to the front desk, I prayed. I said, God, I need your help here because I just want to enforce what you already took care of. <laughs> you and that really nice Expedia lady. <laughs> and as I talked to the lady at the front desk, she was actually very sweet. And they refunded us the, from the weeks before and everything worked out. But here's what I realized is I was like, I, I even find myself going, I think God is still refining me in the area of provision. Because when I find a financial thing is under attack, what do I do? I'll fix it. Let me make the phone call. And I seem to fail at that. And when I say, God, would you help me? He seems to pull through. And sometimes he tests it a second time to go, are you still going to trust me? <laughs> but he pulls through. For us, we have to learn to trust God. Can you trust him as your provider? Maybe he is refining you in that area right now. Second area is, uh, is our protector. And in fact, it, it's the very next verses after God provides water from the rock is in Exodus 17, verse 8. It's the attack of the Amalekites, where they're actually going to come under attack. Let's check it out. And they're going to need protection. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God. That staff just keeps going everywhere. It shows God's power. It shows God's provision. And now it's going to demonstrate how God is also protecting them. Take the staff of God in my, in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so that his hands maintained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. What's the point? The whole point of this is that God is trying to say, hey, listen, this staff that has represented God's power, it's represented God's provision, and now it's going to represent God's uh, protection over them. If for a moment you ever thought that you're winning the victory on your own, I want you to realize it's not you, it's me. That's what God is trying to get them to understand. That as soon as the staff gets lowered, they're going to start losing. So that if they ever for a moment think to themselves, hey, we're really good warriors. God's like, no. Or Moses at least will say, no, you're not. I got tired. <laughs> and then I got help. And when I got help to hold up my hands, then God brought us the victory. But it was him, not us. And conquerors, if you want to know what a conquering mindset is going to do, a conquerors, they know their protection comes from God. You know, it's funny, this year has been an interesting year in which we've all become pretty familiar with protection. In fact, there's a whole new language around it. We have things called PPE, right? Personal protective equipment. Do you have a mask? Do you have uh, a shield? Do you have, what, what's your protocols? And we have all these things that culture right now is saying, hey, these are the ways that you're going to protect yourself and how we'll help protect you from everyone else. And, um, and if there's anything, though, that we constantly need to remind ourselves is that I know the one who is truly protecting me. And it's him. Man, if I've ever uh, needed to be reminded of who is my protector, I'll... Uh, I have to do is look at my children. Having nine kids constantly reminds me he is the one protecting them and not me. Because like, like we were at this water park and my kids are, you know, my little one, a six-year-old, seven-year-old running. And every time, don't run! 
and they run. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, they're going to fall. They're going to get hurt. There's just a million things that, that my kids could get hurt on every single day. And, and in fact, we were in there and one of my sons, we were playing like with these, we're shooting little hoops on these short little basketball hoops. And my, my son, he gets right underneath one. He didn't realize he was underneath it. And he jumped up and he nailed his head right there. <sighs> And uh, this hoop was perfectly designed with a nice, sharp metal edge. <laughs> and, uh, and as he comes on over to me, immediately this big old welt is there, but there was no blood. <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, buddy, God is good. You're, you, you laugh. I'm telling you, I've got enough kids and enough head wounds to know what could have happened. I've, had enough, I've seen enough stitches in my children's head to know what could have happened. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, we don't have to go to the ER. This is good. God is protecting us. God is, man, God is so good. Because what actually could have resulted in nine staples in a head or something like that was just a bump. And uh, go get a bag of ice and he's taken care of. But I'm constantly reminded, even as I like laid down that night, I'm thinking about my son's head because I've been on other vacations where I've spent time in the ER, multiple of them, <laughs> that I'm sitting there going, God, you're just, you are my protector and you're my family's protector. At the end of the day, sometimes I just have to remind myself who is my ultimate protector Maybe for you, maybe you find that you're in a wilderness season uh, and protection, this whole idea is being refined in you. So what could you do to help that refining process or to anchor your heart in him as your protector? A simple thing that you could do is, is pray the, the psalm that my wife read over us at the beginning of the service. Pray that over your heart uh, every day. Here's part of that psalm. Let me read part of it to you. Um, if you're willing to, put your hand on your heart. A lot of times when I read scripture, I just put my hand on my heart. I'm like, God, seed this thing in my heart so that on the day that I need it, it just kind of grows out of it. <laughs> Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He's not going to fall asleep on the job, folks. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. You could pray that over you and just personalize it. The Lord watches over me. Maybe God is refining in you this idea of who is your protector. Third area it's who is in control. And here's the third story I want to go to that happens during this wilderness season for the Israelites. It's found in Exodus uh, chapter 32. And it's during a season where Moses uh, has gone up on Mount Sinai. And he's actually up there for an entire month. He's kind of face to face with the Lord. And the Lord is actually giving him the Ten Commandments and all of the law. And notice what happens while he's up on the mountain. Exodus 32, verse 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron. And he took what they had handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of calf fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival, check this out, to the Lord, capital L, to God, really. Let's continue on. So the next day, the people rose early 
and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. All right, now question, why in the world did they make an idol in the form of a calf? Any idea of why they would, where did they come up with this idea of a calf? Any idea where they might have learned it? Egypt. Yeah, because for the past 400 years, they've been watching what is taking place in their culture there in Egypt, which is the worship of calf, sun, god, or sun, moon, stars, god of frogs, all these different things. And so for them, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're saying, how do we, how can we uh, wrap our hands around the God that we want to worship, but in a way that we can control him? In the way that we can understand him, that we can relate to him. And uh, what's interesting is verse 5 is one of the most fascinating verses in there because they built this altar to, the, to this idol and to this calf. And then Aaron announces, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord, capital L, meaning to God. Now here's, here's what's bizarre to me. The Israelites, there's not a single Israelite who doubts the existence of God. Are you aware of this? Like they've just watched God do all these amazing uh, miracles and he sent 10 plagues that uh, basically all impacted the Egyptians but didn't impact them. God was saved them. They, God delivered them through the Red Sea. God's presence is leading them around in a pillar of uh, cloud by day and fire by night. There's not a single Israelite who's like, I'm an atheist. No one. They're all like, we believe in God. What they're lacking is a sense of controlling him. And so notice what Aaron does. He says, hey, here's an idol. Tomorrow we're going to worship God. And what he does is they're mixing the worship of God and cultural paganism. We could call it cultural relativism. It's what's relevant to them. And unfortunately, we see the same thing happen in our culture all the time. Now, I know not too many of you have an idol in the form of, uh, of a calf at home. So how does it look in our day and age that we worship God, and yet we also embrace cultural relativism or what is culturally cultural paganism? It's this. I see it in relationships. A couple who says, we love God. But in terms of our relationship, maybe a dating couple or an engaged couple, uh, well, we're going to live together. We're going to sleep together because ultimately we're going to control our relationship. It's, it's our worship of God and yet a form of cultural relativism. It, it happens in the form of finances. Yeah, we love God, but I'm obviously going to be in control of my finances because that's what I want to control, right? Because this is all about control. It's the worship of God and cultural relativism. It happens in the form of um, friendships. I love God, but I'm going to pick who my friends are and when I hang out with them and what I do with them because ultimately I want to control that. It happens in the form of politics. I love God, but I really trust in my political party to, bring, uh, to be in control and bring about the change that I hope to see happen. It's really quiet in here. <laughs> but that's what it is. It's a, I love God, but I want to control or put my faith in something that I feel like I can have control of. But a conqueror in the conquering mindset understands that we don't get to control God, that he's ultimately in control. And following him doesn't always make sense, folks. But I can trust him who's in control. Anyone like to be in control in their life? I do. Back to the water park. So right after my son hit his head and he's got the ice pack, and it was actually after dinner time and we were really ready to go. And so we decided, let's go. 
And, um, but two of my boys are still missing, my six-year-old and my 16-year-old, who are together somewhere in this massive water park. And so I told my wife and my kids, I'll go find them, because I can do that, right? I'm in control. And I go searching this water park for 10, 15 minutes, and I can't find them anywhere. And so I come back to my wife and, I just, and my family, and I say, why don't you guys go back to the, to the room and get changed and ready for dinner? I'll find the boys, and I'll, we'll meet you there. And so I, they do, they leave, and I go walking for another five to ten minutes. And another five, ten minutes, this place is not massive, but it's big. And I'm sitting there going, I can't find them. So, lo and behold, I come up with a great idea. Maybe God can help, right? Uh, I literally, right there, I go, God, I've been trying to do this for about a half hour. Could you help me find my boys? And I open my eyes, and I see them for a half second all the way across the the, the building. I kid you not. Finish saying, God, would you help me? Boom. Open eyes. There they are. Half second later. And I, and I just start laughing right there. And I think to myself, is it possible that the Lord is still refining some things out of me? Is it possible that he's, perhaps what he's refining in me is trying to get me to look to him first instead of second? Because in all of these situations, whether it's fixing the hotel room or finding my boys or whatever, as I usually try to do it first by myself, and then eventually I catch on and I go, oh, God could probably solve this thing because he is my protector and he is my provider and he is the one who's in control. And I don't know if you find yourself maybe in a wilderness season. Maybe it's been a season where it's been pretty mean and lean. Maybe it's been a season of tension or trial for you. Is it possible maybe God's refining something in you? Maybe something in the area of provision, maybe protection, maybe control, just like he was doing in the people of Israel. The worship team's going to come on out, and they're going to end with a song, a song that I found about a month ago, and it's just, I don't know, I keep coming back to it. It's so sweet, and it actually, within the song, it uh, references one of these moments where God actually brings water out of the rock. And let me just read some of the lyrics to you. It says this, Teach me how to follow in your ways. I'm done chasing feelings. Spirit, lead me. I'm done chasing feelings. I love that. Because actually so much of our life, we follow what feels right. A lot of times that's what culture tells us to do. So I want to provide. And so I'm going to chase after that and what feels right. Uh, I want to protect my family. I'm going to do what feels right in that. I, I want to control my life. I'm going to do what feels right. But at some point I have to realize, oh, I'm going to stop chasing after what I say feels right. I'm going to just follow the Spirit, and what God says. And I love this. The bridge says, when all hope is gone and your word is all I've got, I have to believe you still bring water from the rock to satisfy my thirst, to love me at my worst. And even when I don't remember, you remind me of my worth. You might be in the middle of a desert season and God is actually going to refine and remind you of some things about who he is and what he wants for you. Let me pray and the worship team is going to come on out. They're just going to sing this song. And, and as they sing it, I would encourage you, whether you sit or you stand, but just maybe you're going to allow God just to minister to you right where you're at. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, when we think about getting better, all of us want to get better. When we think about refining, all of us pump the brakes a little bit. Think, I don't know if I want that. And yet at the end of the day, we do. We, we want to get better, and that process is a process of refining. A lot of times it happens in the wilderness. And perhaps you're refining 
your church right now. Maybe you're refining each and every one of us in different ways. Maybe we're in deserts that feel a little unique to our situation, and yet you might be refining us in the area of provision, protection, or control. And Lord, the thing I would ask is that you would help us to have teachable hearts so we would not overextend our stay. That we would learn quickly so that we would be ready to follow you out of this place of wilderness into the promised land when it's time. In the meantime, Lord, refine and teach us as you want to teach us. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.